0: Welcome to the 204th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a recap of the NBA playoffs so far, a brief look at the NHL playoffs, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website 4and24.com and we will start in the NBA where Patrick went 4 and 0 with his predictions. Similarly, in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 4 and 0 with his weekend predictions. You can do the math, that means Patrick went a pat- Patrick went a perfect 8 and 0 combined. That brings him to a 722 and 473 overall record, a 60.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on last weekend's perfect predictions?
1: Well, I will say uh, unfortunately, despite going 8 and 0, my winning percentage went down because I discovered when I was doing my uh um, update to the overall prediction record spreadsheet that I have. That I was ten games off. Um, I had somehow just moved, among other errors, I had just moved. I guess I didn't move over um the zero, so to speak, um when adding a few losses at some point, and then it got lost in the mix of the podcast. And then when I added up the postseason record with the regular season record, it didn't add up to the number. It was eight off, and then I realized what was going on. So I had to go back and fix that. This is the real winning percentage. I think if it's not, I'm okay with it because I took games. I, I, I took I added ten losses. So I mean, it's not like I'm inflating my win percentage. If anything, I would be dropping it on purpose. So I'm okay with it as long as it's at that point and I'm not just you know inflating it. I wouldn't want to add wins, um, extraneous wins that didn't actually happen. Um, but I'm okay with adding some losses. I don't really care. Um, Overall, though, obviously, in in terms of my actual predictions, it was a great week. Um, I had some game three predictions, uh, some game two predictions in the NBA, or actually one game two prediction because the Warriors and the Lakers fell behind the schedule. And I like to um, I like to predict the next game that's on because you know once a team say there's game two and game three over the weekend, once a team wins game two and ties it up one to one, that kind of changes your outlook on the series. You know, you y- you might think. When a team goes down 2-0 and then goes home, say the Lakers had gone down 2-0, I probably would have picked the Lakers to win in that situation um, in game three. But if it was 1-1, to then it makes it a different decision because obviously then it's tied. So, um, you know, I like to pick the most or, or the, 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 the soonest upcoming game. Um, and that was game two in the Warriors-Lakers series. I picked the Warriors. They beat the Lakers 127-100 to uh, in game two. I picked the Celtics to beat the Sixers. Uh, they did that in Game Three, one fourteen to one hundred and two. I picked the Suns to beat the Nuggets, one twenty-one to one fourteen. They did that in Game Three. Uh, obviously, I didn't pick the score, but I picked them to beat the Nuggets, and that was the score they won by in Game Three. Uh, and then I picked the Heat to beat the Knicks, one hundred and five to eighty-six in Game Three. And obviously, all of those are wins because all of my predictions were wins this week in MLB. Uh, the Braves took two of three from the Orioles after a 12-inning game on Sunday morning, uh, the bright and early NBC game, which is an 11.35 Eastern time start. It's it's brutal if you're a West Coaster, and I know that from last summer when the Dodgers played that a few times, and I was very, very upset because it was probably the se- sixth or seventh inning before I was awake. Um, but then you have the Blue Jays who swept the Pirates, who are kind of on a cold streak right now. We'll talk more about that later. And then I danced around these two series, but the Dodgers took two or three from the Padres. Mookie Betts hitting a game-tying home run with the Dodgers down to their final two strikes of the game, down to their final out, um, off of Josh Hader to send the final game of the series, that was the series rubber match, into extra innings. And then the Dodgers win it in the 10th with a Michael Bush single and a James Outman two-run home run. Doesn't really matter, the home run in the end, because the Padres actually did not score a run. They didn't even get the ghost runner in in the 10th inning. But the Dodgers take that series nonetheless um, after dropping the first game in San Diego. Then you have the Rays, who took two of three from the Yankees. The Yankees jumped out to a series to a lead in this game in the first game of the series. Um were not able to keep it. The Rays came back. I think it was only a one-run comeback. Maybe they didn't even actually lead, but the the Yankees did win game two, three to two. But then in game three of the series the impossible happened garrett cole was 7 and 0 on the season for the yankees or the yankees were 7 and 0 in games that he pitched and they had a 7 nothing lead cole gave up 5 runs at the beginning of the 6th inning did not make it through an out of the 6th inning and eventually the rays were able to mount a comeback and actually come all the way back from 7 nothing down or from 6 to nothing down excuse me to tie the game at 6 uh take a 7 to 6 lead the Yankees actually tied it up at seven, but then the Rays won in extras eight to seven in the final game in the series. So two clutch comebacks uh, to keep me undefeated in MLB this week.
0: Overall though, obviously a very good week of predictions. Very good week. Indeed. We'll see if you can replicate it next weekend. And we won't hold you that high standard every week. Uh, but Patrick's predictions for next weekend's games will be posted on our website, fourth and 24.com on Thursday, as always, let's move off of Patrick's weekend predictions and let's move on to our review of the nba playoffs, some of which we talked about in connection with the uh, predictions let's start in the western conference semifinals where the number one seeded denver nuggets and the number four seeded phoenix suns are tied at two games apiece
1: this series is as close as advertised uh nicole jokic has maybe even defied expectations despite being you know an mvp and all that stuff um he has played amazing throughout this series but the story of game three was Devin Booker and, and also to an extent Kevin Durant they both had I think 40 points each uh, in that game just completely carrying the team putting them on their back we know the Suns don't have any depth it makes it even worse when Chris Paul is out with an injury which he has been Um, but yeah the Suns able to get that production from Booker and KD 47 from Booker excuse me 39 from Durant 39 9 and 8 from Durant um, and Booker had 47, six and nine on 20 of 25 shooting. I mean, I don't know what you do to stop that. I don't know how you even win a game when that happened. And frankly, I will say it's a pretty bad sign. I'll say this about a lot of teams um, in this episode of the podcast, but it's a pretty bad sign when a player goes plays that well, and you still barely win the game. Um, the, The nuggets were in this game all the way until the end. Jokic had 30, 17 and 17. Only wiped away by the fact that Booker had 47 on 20 of 25 shooting. Jokic had an amazing game. Uh, Jamal Murray also had 32, 6, and 5 in this game. So even Michael Porter Jr. had 21 and 12 on 6 of 10 from three. So there were a lot of good performances in this game. But beyond Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, there wasn't a single player on the Suns to score over seven points. So that's obviously the issue there. Um, they really just have no depth. And even DeAndre Ayton hasn't even played his best in the series kind of prompting um jock landale to really step into that role uh as the primary center for a little bit uh you know monty williams not exactly the biggest fan of deandre Ayton as has been well well um described he's still getting more minutes than landale but it's about it's about an even split 27 to 21 minutes 26 to 22 minutes depending on what game you look at um and then in game four phoenix won by five despite jokic scoring 53 points um this time, Michael Porter Jr., a little bit cold shooting, only 11 points. Uh, Aaron Gordon also had 11. Every every nugget starter, excuse me, had double figures, but Jamal Murray going for 28, Jokic going for 53, but still not enough because Booker went for 36 points on 14 of 18 shooting. Kevin Durant had 36 points on 11 of 19 shooting with 11 rebounds. Booker had 12 assists, by the way. And finally, someone else stepped, for, stepped up for the Suns. I said last game. No one above seven points uh, besides two players, TJ Warren and I believe Josh Akogi or or maybe campaign. Uh, But in this game, they got eight and eight from Aiton. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that much, but it's better than no one getting over seven. Um, Landell had eight and five and Terrence Ross had eight and two. And then um, most importantly, Landry Shamit came off the bench and had 19 points on five of eight shooting from three. They finally got a third scoring output and that is the reason why they were able to overcome uh, Jokic, Jokic's onslaught in that game uh, and the Nuggets because the Nuggets actually couldn't find a third score. That that has been obviously the thing that they have over their advantage over the Suns mainly is the fact that their third score has been better than the Suns third score because Chris Paul is out. Um, but this game, Phoenix able to f- to flip the script and we'll just have to see if they can continue Finding those kind of finding the guy who's the hot hand for the game and keeping that guy in the game, giving him the ball enough, um, letting Durant and Booker do their thing, and hopefully whoever that third scorer may be will be enough. But uh, for now, that's all we got
0: for that series. As uh, Game Five will be tonight. All right, let's move over to the other Western Conference semi, where the number six seeded LA Lakers lead the number seven seeded Golden State Warriors three games to one.
1: Yeah, I won't talk on much. A lot more about this series than I did about the Nuggets and the Suns, despite the fact that all four games happened in the last week. The first game of the series and the most recent game of the series were very, very close. Um, Excuse the background noise if you hear it. Uh, But look, the Lakers, they won game one, 117 to 112. They kind of stole that game in Golden State. AD had 30 points and 23 rebounds on 11 of 19 shooting. LeBron had 22 and 11. D'Angelo Russell had 19 and 6. Um, And Dennis Schroeder also had 19 points off the bench. the Lakers getting balanced contributions from everywhere um, almost had another one of those games like they did against the Grizzlies where they had four 20 point scores this time having two guys with 19 um, to just miss out on that. Steph played a pretty good game. He had 27 points on 10 of 24 shooting Clay Thompson uh, more volume shooting than Steph missed a few more threes, but may, or, or sorry, missed a few more threes, made the same amount, took three more, but, 6 of 16 from three, while Steph was 6 of 13. Uh, Looney had 10 points and 23 rebounds, and Jordan Poole had 21 off the bench. But the Warriors have kind of discovered later on in the series, and, you know, I I can't talk too much about this game because it was quite literally a week ago, and I'm barely remembering what happened in it. Uh, But I just remember that AD was dominating this game, and the Warriors did make the adjustment eventually, um, that maybe this is just not a series where Kevon Looney is going to play a big role. Uh, and they decided to go small ball a little bit, play Draymond at the at the five a lot more, uh, and then actually their adjustment in game two was to start Jamichael Green. Uh, so moving on to game two, the Warriors made that adjustment won one twenty seven to one hundred. Beyond behind that Jamichael Green adjustment, he had fifteen points, um, at in the starting role. Uh, Kevon Looney only played twelve minutes. Michael Green only played 13 minutes as well, so neither of them were really true starters. But most of that had to do with the fact that at the end of the game, these teams were not playing their main rotation players at all. I mean, the highest minutes total in the game was Klay Thompson with 31, and then AD on the Lakers side with 33. Uh, but look, the Lakers just kind of got crushed in this game. LeBron, he had 23 points on 10 of 18 shooting. Would have had more, obviously, if they were still playing their starters by the time it hit the fourth quarter. But the Warriors just crushed this game. AD was not as dominant at all. Only had 11 points on 5 of 11 shooting. And as a result, because he wasn't as dominant, um, the Warriors were just able to, to run over the Lakers. And the Lakers had to make the adjustment going into game three. And adjust they did. Uh, they won 127 to 97 in the first game in LA in this series. Their adjustment was to bring Lonnie Walker off the bench and play him where he had 12 points in the game. That is a important storyline for later. Uh, Schroeder still had 12 off the bench, but his minutes were decreased as Walker played more. Um, Then, in terms of the starters, Jared Vanderbilt's kind of been having a rough series. Uh, He hasn't played as many minutes as he normally does. Jermichael Green, again, was in the starting lineup for the Warriors, but wasn't enough. Looney played more than uh, Jermichael Green did, again, but neither of them were very effective. Uh, Steph was 9 of 21 and 4 of 10 from 3. Clay Thompson was 5 of 14 and 3 of 9 from 3. Uh, Jordan Poole was 2 of 9 from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3. So overall, no one really got it going for the Warriors. They shot 13 of 44 from 3 as a team, 29.5%. Meanwhile, the Lakers Lakers made 2 more 3s than the Warriors did while shooting 13 less. That's pretty much all you need to know about this game. They shot 48.4% from 3 in the game uh, and 42 out of 80, which is 52.5% from the field overall. That was keyed by D'Angelo Russell, who had a first quarter outburst and ended the game with 21 points on 5 of 8 from 3. Anthony Davis was back to his dominant self, had 25 points and 13 rebounds on 7 of 10 shooting. Again, not the most dominant game for him, but he was still able to readjust to the Warriors' adjustments. And then heading into Game 4, this was kind of the game that I feel like could really, really swing the series. The Warriors taking Game 4 on the road, heading into a home game would have been pretty big as I feel like they would have been able to go up three, two in that scenario. But instead it was the Lakers who took game four, winning one Oh four to one Oh one. LeBron was big in this game. 27 points. Steph did not have his most efficient shooting night, shooting 12 of 30 from the floor, three of 14 from three, but he did have a triple double 31 points, 14 assists, 10 rebounds. Draymond green, almost had a triple double 8.7 assists, 10 rebounds. Um, But, The Warriors made another change to their starting lineup. This time, Looney and Jermichael Green only combined for 13 minutes off the bench, and it was a much tighter rotation. Steph played 42 minutes. Klay Thompson played 41. Draymond played 37. Andrew Wiggins played 39 minutes. Their adjustment was putting Gary Payton in the starting lineup as a true, true small ball five or four, whatever you want to call his position in that game. I guess he was technically the three because Wiggins was playing the four, Uh, but he had 15 points. So it was a good adjustment for them. It almost got them the win, but not quite, because AD, for the first time in this playoffs, and it's surprising that I have to say this, but the first time in this playoffs had 20 points back-to-back. I believe Charles Barkley said on Inside the NBA's halftime show that the stat was there were 60 players to have 20 points in back-to-back games um, in the postseason, and AD was not one of them, which is just astonishing. Um, But at the same time, he was able to do it here in this game. 23 points, 15 rebounds, 10 of 16 from the floor. LeBron had 27, 9, and 6. Not his most efficient shooting night either, 10 of 25. Overall, both teams really struggled from 3, 24% for the Lakers, 29% for the Warriors. But in the end, the Lakers were the ones who prevailed. Um, That Lonnie Walker adjustment came in key again. They were playing a lot of Schroeder and Walker on the floor at the same time. Schroeder played 35 minutes more than D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves. And also Lonnie Walker ended up playing 27 minutes. He had 15 points on on six of nine shooting, all of those points coming in the fourth quarter. Um, So very important contributions at a very timely time for the Lakers. Um, And then Austin Reeves also had 21 on seven of 15 shooting in this game. So he had a good game too, um, as the Lakers used a closing lineup with uh, LeBron, A.D., Uh, Austin Reeves, Schroeder, and Lonnie Walker, as opposed to having D'Angelo Russell anywhere in that mix, uh, or Jared Vanderbilt. But it's just been a different series for the Lakers, and Darvin Ham, I think, has done a great job with coaching adjustments, adjusting to the Warriors and how they were able to have success after the Warriors made their initial adjustments. It's really been a chess match throughout the series, and it looks like the Lakers are going to come out on top in the end.
0: All right, we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, Let's move over to the Eastern Conference semifinals, where the number eight-seeded Miami Heat lead the number five-seeded New York Knicks three games to one?
1: Well, I was on the phone with you um, during game one of this series where the Heat were losing, but it was, I think, a two- or three-point game at the half, and I told you the Heat are going to win the series. The Knicks have no chance. And you said, what are you talking about? The Knicks are in the lead, or maybe the Heat had the lead, and then the Knicks took it back. Um, And then, obviously, eventually, the Heat ended up coming back to win that game. But what I was talking about is the fact that the Knicks cannot beat a team like the Heat. If they can, if they if they're struggling to beat them without Jimmy Butler, they're not going to beat him with Jimmy, beat them with Jimmy Butler, because the Heat with Jimmy Butler are maybe I don't know if there's another team in the league that is as different without their star as Jimmy Butler is to the Heat. Maybe the exception is probably Steph to the Warriors. I, I would guess. Um, but I really can't, like, you know, the Grizzlies have played okay without John Morant, sometimes even good without John Morant uh, over the years. Same thing goes for, eh, to an extent, the Pelicans and Zion, et cetera, et cetera. The Heat play horrible without Jimmy Butler, but they play great when he's back. In game two, the Knicks were able to take the win, 111 to 105, but only splitting at home with Jimmy not playing either of the first two games was a very bad sign. And that was played out in game three as the Heat came back, and won 105-86. to 86. Jimmy Butler came back, had 28 points in that game. Uh, not his most efficient shooting night, but Bam Adebayo was back to being aggressive on the offensive end. He had 17 points. Kyle Lowry had 14 off the bench. Max Struess had 19 points from the starting lineup. Uh, and Duncan Robinson finally got some play in the series, though he didn't really play too well. Neither team could hit a three. 20, 22% for the Heat, 20% on the dot for the Knicks. Uh, Jalen Brunson led them in scoring with 20 points. He had eight assists and six rebounds as well, but only seven of twenty shooting. Josh Hurt was five for twelve. He had 15 and 12, though. Pretty good game for him. But Julius Randle, four of 15 from the floor, 0 oh, of 5 for th- from 3, uh, 10 for 14. If Randall and Brunson combined for 0 for 10 from 3, the Knicks have no chance of winning a game. Um, and that was played out. That's how they barely got to 80 points in that game, excuse me. Um, so you know. That, that was just one of those games for the Knicks that really showcased the fact that when Jimmy is there, it is just a different series. And then in game four, the same story played out. Jimmy Butler had 27 points, 10 assists, and six rebounds. Bam was back to his dominant self, had 23 points and 13 rebounds. Max Strews had 16. Kyle Lowry had 15 off the bench. And you really see that the Heat have kind of a repeatable formula. Shoot a lot of threes, make a decent enough percentage, and play really good defense to make sure that the other team can't win the game. And it has worked perfectly against the Knicks so far. Um, I, I still think the Knicks are going to be able to take game five and make the, push the series to six. But I do think that when it goes back to Miami in game six, I think that will be the end of the series. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it ended in five in New York uh, either. But, you know, Jalen Brunson had a better game this time around, 32 points on 10 of 21 shooting. Julius Randle had 20 points, but only took 13 shots, which is surprising. Uh, but he did foul out of the game, so that obviously factored in that. And then R.J. Barrett had 24 points on 9 of 16 shooting. But just overall, if, if your stars are going to shoot that well and you're still not going to beat the Heat, I just have no idea how they're going to win the series. Um, pretty, good, pretty much got no production from their bench, though. That was pretty important. They only had 10 bench points compared to the Heat had two players off the bench that each scored 10, Cody Martin and Kyle Lowry. Um, excuse me, Caleb Martin, I should say. The two Martin brothers, but that is the one on the Heat is Caleb. Uh, But look, the Heat are just outplaying the Knicks right now. I don't really see a way the Knicks get back in the series. I think the Heat are going to be able to take it 100%.
0: Okay, well, let's move on to the last of the uh, conference semifinal series. That's the number three-seeded Philadelphia 76ers are leading the number two-seeded Boston, not leading them, facing the number two-seeded Boston Celtics, and the series is tied two games apiece.
1: Game two after James Harden's outburst in game one. The Celtics came back and said, okay, we mean business. We are going to take this series over. Uh, despite Embiid coming back, nobody on the Sixers had more than 16 points in this game. 16 came from Tobias Harris. Maxey had 13, Harden had 12, Embiid had 15. Of course, some of that is because A, Philly couldn't score at all, and B, the game was over very early, but uh, Jalen Brown, 25 points on 9 of 17, shooting the lead all scorers. Jason Tatum. Uh, Only had seven points on one of seven shooting. Only played 19 minutes in this game, which is crazy. Uh, But Malcolm Brogdon had 23 points off the bench. Grant Williams had 12 off the bench. And that bench production has been leading the Celtics in this series for sure. But it helped out a lot in that game as they were able to just steamroll Philly. I have nothing else really to say about game two. Uh, But in game three, the Celtics won again, taking the first game uh, from Philly on their home court. Just really good production from everybody that played. A tight eight-man rotation. Uh, Robert Williams hasn't been as productive as I expected him to be in the series, but he's still a factor with as a rim protector. Four points and five rebounds for him. Grant Williams didn't even score, but the Celtics got 15 off the bench from Brogdon, and all of their starters had 13 or more, uh, led by Jason Tatum, who had 27 points and 10 rebounds. Jalen Brown had 23 points. Al Horford had 17 on five of seven from three. Marcus Smart had 15 points. Uh, Derek White had 13 points. And they just played good enough defense that they were able to kind of gut out a win against Philly, despite the fact that they weren't really shooting their best. Uh, Embiid had 30 points, but really no one else showed up for the Sixers. Um, George Niang had 10 points off the bench. That was good production. DeAnthony Melton had 14 points off the bench. But the reality is, if Harden is going to only score 16 points and get it on 3 of 14 shooting, they're just not going to win the game, especially if Tyrese Maxey is also going to go four for 16, have 13 points. And Bede cannot carry this team enough if those guys aren't doing literally anything. Uh, but in game four, it got turned around a little bit. The Sixers had a lead completely choked it. Boston made, I think, a 14 to two run to get back into the game and eventually push the game to overtime. Boston got production from the same sources and then also added Marcus Smart in there to get a lot of points from him. He had 21 in this game. Uh, Jason Tatum had 24 points and 18 rebounds. He was really, really cold in the first half, but was still able to have an impact rebounding um, and nearly ended up with a 20-20 game on 9 of 20 shooting at the end. Jalen Brown was hot at the beginning, had 23 points on 10 of 16 shooting. Malcolm Brogdon had 19 off the bench. Uh, but the, it was the Sixers who prevailed. 116-115, thanks to James Harden's clutch three in overtime uh, to give Philly the lead with, what? Yeah, 19 seconds left after Jason Tatum had made a three to. Well, sorry, I'll go, I'll go back a little bit, make this clearer. Philly uh, took the lead on two MB free throws with 56 seconds left, a th- 113, 112 lead. Jason Tatum hit a three to make it 115 to 113, Celtics. And then James Harden with 19 seconds left uh, made a three to make it 116 to 115. Marcus Smart made a shot at the buzzer in overtime, but the shot was late. And in the end, the Sixers escape with the victory. James Harden in game one and game four has been the catalyst for Philly. Uh, he had 42 points in this game on 16 of 23, shooting 42, nine and eight. And Bead had a nice game too, 34 and 13. But the fact of the matter is, if Harden is going to play like Houston Harden, Philly's gonna win whatever game they're playing. But if he's gonna play like the Harden that he has played like in half the other series and last year's playoffs, they're not winning any of those games. So this team is really living and dying By James Harden, especially against an opponent as good as Boston is. Maybe against a different opponent, this is a little bit of a different story, and they could get by, even if James Harden isn't having his greatest game, especially against the Nets, that happened for sure. But the way that it's happening against the Boston Celtics, they are just too good to lose to them if they're not playing all at their best, especially if Harden is going to be completely cold. So Philly making it a tied series, but the Sixers, I I still have the Celtics overall in the series. It might be it might go to seven games though, and I would be very happy to see the series go to the distance, go the distance because it's been very entertaining.
0: OK, that wraps up our look at the NBA playoffs for this week. Um, and for the first time in podcast history, we're going to take a look at the National Hockey League. Uh, nothing like hockey playoffs. For those of you who've ever watched them, you know that for those of you who haven't, you should. So, Patrick, let's take a quick look at NHL playoffs starting in the Eastern Conference.
1: Yeah, we're just going to breeze through this because the fact of the matter is we can't cover all the games that happened before and we can't even do the last week like we did with the NBA because then it's just kind of out of context. So we'll start with the Florida Panthers who lead the number two seeded Toronto Maple Leafs, number two in their division. They have a different playoff format. You should look it up. Uh, But Florida is basically the equivalent of an eight seed. And not only were they an eight seed, but they had a point number that probably wouldn't have made the playoffs in another year, I believe 92 or 93 points. Um, and wouldn't have made it in the Western Conference either. But it was just enough this year. And then they took on Boston in the first round, who was the number one. They, they set a record for the most points in NHL history. Um, and yet Florida took down Boston in seven. And now they lead the Maple Leafs three to nothing on the verge of an appearance in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then you have the number one Carolina Hurricanes leading the number two New Jersey Devils two to one. This has been a really entertaining series. I think the last game was eight to four Devils won. Um, but there were also two shorthanded goals in that game uh, on the same power play. So some, there, there, there were some crazy shenanigans going on in that game, but really some entertaining series um, all around, especially in the Eastern conference, although I've watched more of the Western conference.
0: Okay. Well, do you want to switch over to the Western conference? Yes, we will. Uh, the Seattle Kraken
1: lead the number two Dallas stars two to one. I'm a sucker for expansion teams. Um, the Kraken are that they're actually two expansion teams but Vegas has been the team for six or seven years now uh, but Seattle fresh team uh, I think two years ago at this point but they are already surging in the playoffs they lead Dallas two to one as I said uh, they really beat Dallas really hard um yesterday or two days ago yeah two days ago um, they lead the series two to one and we're going to make predictions later so that's why I'm kind of breezing through this but the Vegas Golden Knights, the number one seed, lead the number two Edmonton Oilers 2-1. to one. Edmonton has the duo of Dreisaitl and McDavid, who are just crazy. Um, they're just really, really good. But uh, Vegas able to overcome that so far and lead that series 2-1, to one, trying to avenge my hometown LA Kings.
0: All right. Well, uh, with that quick review of the playoffs, we want to move to some predictions here. Why don't you start?
1: I have Florida in the Eastern Conference closing it out in six games. I think Toronto will you know, make a little game of it, steal one on the road here and then win the home game, give it, give Florida fans a little bit of a scare, but then I think the Panthers will close it out. Although I wouldn't really be surprised if they close it out earlier. And I should mention, we'll actually be doing a full review of the, the last week of games next week. Um, Once we've now going forward from today's games to next Tuesday's
0: games in the same way that we do the NBA. All right, well, so we'll be able to see how accurate our predictions are. I'm saying Florida in four, maybe in five if Toronto's goalie is healthy. I think Toronto's goalie got hurt in, in, uh, in game three. So uh, what about Carolina?
1: I have Carolina winning in five. I really think the Devils win. I won't say it was a fluke, but the Carolina was dominating the first two games of the series, and they still put up four goals even in their loss. They just have to tighten it up defensively, um, and I think they're going to win it in five. I think they have this series in the bag.
0: All right, I got Carolina in six. Let's move to Seattle. Dallas. Um, I have a soft spot in my
1: heart for the expansion teams, as I said, so I'm going with Seattle winning the series in seven over Dallas, despite the fact that my brain probably says Dallas is probably a better team, um, and maybe they will probably win it in seven, but I'm picking Seattle because I like them more, Um, so go Kraken.
0: All right, well, I have a soft spot for being right, so I'm picking seven, and finally, uh, Vegas against Edmonton.
1: I have Vegas winning in six games. I actually think that they played better than I expected them to in this series, and I thought they were going to win it anyway. Um, By the way, I should mention, we both have been watching most of the playoffs, so I've been hesitant to talk about it because I really don't know, you know, players, all that stuff. I haven't watched that much hockey in a while, uh, as as has been well documented by many of my friends and many people who have gone to my college. We don't have hockey here, so I haven't watched basically any hockey. I've been watching, like, all basketball. Um, because our football team is also a disaster, but that's a different story. Um, So look, we're getting acclimated to hockey. That's why we're doing this quickly. But Vegas wins in six, and next week we will actually talk about the results of these games.
0: Yep. Uh, Well, I think Vegas wins in seven. But yes, next week we will talk about uh, these games in the end of the series and and preview the conference finals and the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, But for now, let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review of MLB Action, where we start, as always, in the American League East. Yeah, this
1: review will be quicker than normal, um, but uh, you know it's it's the height of playoffs, and I need to get used to having shorter rundowns in the NHL or shorter rundowns so we can talk about the NHL now and the NBA. Um, accommodate that change, and by the way, it, it's it's early on in the season, right? I mean, there was the beginning of the season, and you could talk about all those teams that are slumping. Now it seems like teams are starting to play up to what they're supposed to be for the most part. There's still some surprises, um, but. Now that things are a little bit more consistent and we have a little bit of a larger sample size, there's a little bit less to talk about in terms of storylines until we get kind of into the meat of the season and you're dealing with injuries. And then when teams are, you know, 50 games into the season and they're under 500 still, like the Phillies were last year, you start looking at, do you need to fire your manager? Those kinds of things. However, starting in the AL East, we have the Tampa Bay Rays. They've been on top all year, still have the best record in MLB, still have a have a winning percentage of over 800 Uh, after winning their weekend series against the Yankees. They have an unreal plus 118 run differential, although they're not the only team to have 200 runs scored, not even the only team to have 220 runs scored, um, as I'll get to in a second, uh, or well, the other team with 220 I'll get to later. But then you have the Orioles in second, 22 and 13. They've lost three in a row, but they're still five and five in their last 10. Um, They lost their first game in a series against the Rays actually yesterday, I believe. Um, uh, but at the same time, they lost those last two to ball, to the to, sorry, to the Braves uh, at the end of that series. But still playing well, uh, still playing good baseball. The Blue Jays are twenty one and, and a half games back. And finally, the team who has who, one of the other two teams who has two hundred runs scored, the uh, out of the only three teams who have done that so far in lB, the Boston Red Sox are twenty one and 15, 8 and two in their last ten. They have been hot recently. Um, I would say it's a little bit of a surprise considering that their roster is a little bit downgraded, but you know what, we already knew going into the season that all these teams in the AL East were going to be very strong teams, um, and Boston was going to be a dark horse wildcard contender, they have the roster to do it, they have good players, it's just that last year they didn't really play up to their expectations, as a team they had a lot of injuries on the pitching staff, et cetera, et cetera. but this year they haven't dealt with that, speaking of injuries on the pitching staff though, that is the epitome of the New York Yankees season, they are 19-17, Seven and one in games started by Garrett Cole this year, but for all other starters, they are twelve and fifteen. That is just not enough to get it done. Um, it won't be enough by the end of the season. But the Yankees at least able to scrape out one game against the Rays. Needed to do better though going forward.
0: All right, let's move over to the AL Central.
1: The Minnesota Twins are leading the AL Central, the only team with a winning record in this division. They are nineteen and sixteen. Just two and a half games back from them. It's the Detroit Tigers, very surprising, who just took the first game of the series against Cleveland, already won a series against Cleveland earlier in the year. Um, even though they're 16 and 18, still an achievement for this team to be second in the division. They're seven and three in their last 10, playing good baseball after a horrible start to the season like we expected them to have. Uh, then you have the Cleveland Guardians, who, after losing that first game of the series, are a half game back of the Tigers at 16 and 19. This team just flat out hasn't played up to expectations. They have a lot of pitching injuries right now uh forcing them to have a bunch of rookies in the rotation not something that's going to continue i believe that the guardians will make it back out of this and and uh, and i think they're honestly staying afloat enough the fact that they're only three games back in this division i won't say this late into the year because it's very early in the year but at this point of the year with all the injuries they've had is a pretty good sign for them going forward i think they'll be able to catch the twins like they were able to last year and then the bottom of this division is just not worth talking about the white Sox at 12 and 24 uh, they had a little bit of a streak going but they're horrible Um, the Royals at 10 and 26, they're also horrible. Not much to talk about there. Really bad pitching from those two teams, especially.
0: All right, uh, then let's move over to the West of the American League. Well,
1: still a surprise at the top. You got the Texas Rangers, although at this point it can't be a surprise anymore. They have eight games where they've scored 10 runs or more. The second best run differential uh, in MLB, I've said that they have, you know, they're just in a different, I've said to you actually that they're in kind of a different stratosphere. It's basically the Rays. Are in their own run differential and record stratosphere, and then the Rangers have kind of actually separated themselves from other teams just because they're plus eighty six run differential. Look, you have twenty two and thirteen teams like the Orioles, but they're a plus twenty six. That's solid. But the Rangers at plus eighty six is just crazy. I mean, frankly, they might be on a pace to win more if you went Pythagorean um, theorem of wins and losses. If you know what that is, you should. If you don't know what that is, you should look it up. If you know what that is, you know what I'm talking about. But the most important thing, they've won three in a row. They're 7-3 and, te- they're seven and three in their last 10. Won a weekend series against the Angels. And then you have the Los Angeles Angels, who somehow are in second in this division. 20-16, two games back. The AL might be might have too much depth for them to claim uh, second place. Or, or, sorry, for them to claim a wild card spot. And it would be really sad if the Angels finally got above five hundred, finally had a good season. But it just wasn't good enough. Um, and then Otani left. But at the same time, I'm licking my chops at the prospects of him maybe being a Dodger next year, but that's a different discussion. Let's continue with this division. Two teams tied at 17 and 18, the Mariners and the Astros. The Mariners won their weekend series against the Astros by winning the final two games of the series. Actually, they might've split it now that I think about it. I don't really know, but Mariners six and four in their last 10 after a really, really subpar start to the season. They're starting to bring it together. And the Astros meanwhile have lost three in a row after it looked like they were starting to reclaim their former champion self. And then Talk about things that you really shouldn't be talking about. The A's are 8-28, and 28, um, 129 in the negative direction, run differential. Talked about the Rangers and the Rays being kind of in two different stratospheres, but their own uh, stratospheres of their own in terms of run differential. The A's are a whole other run differential stratosphere of their own. The White Sox have the second worst run differential in MLB. It is half as bad as the A's at minus 61, with the A's sitting at minus 129. Uh, They have given up 268 runs so far. For context, the Rays have only scored 228. They might have assembled the worst pitching staff of all time. Uh, We will see if they're able to pick it up any time in the season. I doubt it. Um, This team is made to lose, and that's exactly what they're doing.
0: Okay, well, let's uh, move from the American League over to the National League, also starting in the East. It is
1: the Atlanta Braves leading the East. Best record in the NL right now, 24 and 11 overall. I think one of their best 35 game starts in franchise history. Um, from what I saw last night, I remember reading that on a stat somewhere. They've won two in a row. They're seven and three in their last 10. They are seven games ahead of the Mets, who since playing the Dodgers and getting to, I think, 12 and seven on the year, are five and 11, and they haven't played good opponents either. Um, they have just been playing bad opponents and not winning. They played Detroit. They played the Rockies, um, played some other teams. I can't think of them right now, um, but they just haven't played good opponents yet. They're still struggling. Um, it's just really odd for the Mets, but I guess it's just because of the pitching injuries. Um, you know, Verlander has only pitched one game where he got blown up by the Tigers pretty much. And then also you have the suspension for Max Scherzer, the sticky stuff suspension. So, you know, all those factors kind of going against them. Then you have the Marlins. They're 17 to 19, but they're 11 to zero in one run games. Um, if they want to play better, they have to win not one run games. And that is not something they've done so far. Second, wor- third worst run differential tied with the Royals in all of MLB. And yet they're barely under 500. Probably shows that it's not going to last that long, though. Then you have the Phillies who are 16 to 19. They got Bryce Harper back this week. Crazy story for them. Um, as he's returning so early, but they really need it right now. They're kind of stuck in reverse um, and not really able to get out of it. And then, you know, I've criticized this team a lot, but the Nationals at 15 and 20, they're only two games back of the Mets for second place in the division somehow actually have a better run differential than the Phillies and the Marlins. They've won two in a row. They're six and four in the last 10. They're looking to be at least competitive this year, a little bit respectable. And then you never know what can happen in the next few years. As prospects take leaps and maybe the front office goes out, spends some money, get some marquee free agents. Although they haven't even retained any of their free agents in the past. So I don't know if they would actually go out and get some, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, But at least the Nationals are playing some respectable baseball right now.
0: Okay. Let's move over to the NL Central. Both of
1: the teams at the top of this division have gone cold for a little bit. The Pirates 21 and 15, they are three and seven in their last 10. The Brewers 20 and 15, they are four and six in their last ten, so maybe kind of regression of the mean for them. Um, if that's an indication, it would tell you that the Cubs, who are three and seven in their last ten, but still have the best run differential in this division and actually the third and actually the second best in all of the national league only behind the Braves and even ahead of the Dodgers, are seventeen and eighteen. But that run differential tells you that they might be able to turn it around soon. Um, they score a lot of runs. They have pretty good pitching as well. Um, actually, it's more the other way. They have the best pitching in the National League. I didn't even realize that. Uh, but they also get middle-of-the-pack run production, and as a result, they're a very good team. Um, probably, in, in honestly, in my opinion, the Cubs are my favorite to win this division at this point in the year. I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but I really do think they have the quality. I really do think they can. Uh, the only team that I would put in the same echelon is really the brewers because i just don't believe in the pirates sustaining this long term with o'neill cruz's injury um but i I do think that the cubs are going to challenge for this division lead and they should be able to start pulling it back soon but that is not the only story in this division that's surprising the reds are 14 and 20 and not in last that's surprising uh but the biggest story obviously the cardinals 12 and 24 now the worst record in the national league obviously no one's getting worse uh than the a's and the royals but the White Sox have the same record as the Cardinals. Both of them very disappointing, but well, the White Sox were just supposed to be competitive, okay, around 500. The Cardinals were supposed to be the division favorites this year, and they have come out completely flat. They can't pitch for anything. I mean, they, they just don't have any pitching, and I, I've said this a lot. Um, when we did our preseason predictions, I said the Cardinals would be in that mix for the World Series, but I don't see any good pitchers on their roster, and even the guys who have been supposed to be good, like Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, they haven't had their best years for Jack Flaherty, a really bad year so far. Um, and two and eight in their last 10. It's just not enough. Although I will say, despite all that, I am seeing them in person tonight, so I'm excited to see Goldschmidt and Arenado regardless. I haven't seen them since they were in their
0: NL West days. Okay, well, you'll enjoy that game, but let's uh move over to the NL West.
1: Well, speaking of the NL West, the Dodgers 21 and 15 after taking the weekend series from the Padres, eight and two in their last 10. Hot 12 and four in their last 16 games, or before that game, 12 and four in their last 16, which is the best in the NL, tied with, I think, the Rangers and the Rays and maybe the Orioles as well for the best in MLB. Uh, the Diamondbacks trailing them by half a game. They are seven and three in their last 10, although they played some weak opponents, um, but 20 and 15. So they're playing good baseball still. And then you have the Padres, who, as I said, dropped that weekend series. Uh, 18 and 17 on the year, a, mine, a negative run differential. They just need their lineup to get it going if they're going to challenge for this division. Uh, but if the, if their guys at the top of the lineup can't get it going, I mean, Tatis has been great since he's come back, but if Soto and Machado can't step it up at the plate, they have no chance of winning the division, and they will end up third place, and they will miss the playoffs. Um, I will just go ahead and flat out say that right now if they're going to keep playing the way they're playing because their pitching staff is not as good as people make it out to be. Um, and then you have, other than you, Darvish, I mean, mad respect for that dude. He throws like 20 pitches um it's insane uh but then you have the giants uh, who are 15 and 19 on the season they're the giants this is honestly a little bit better than i expected probably probably around that level but just a little teensy bit better and then you have the rockies who you know they're not the worst in the national league anymore so i guess that's positive for them they're six and four in their last 10 they could be happy about that um they're 14 and 22 chris bryant has played okay this year he's having a good year which is something that um That'll be helpful going forward to the future. This team is still a few years away from competing, though, especially with how tight and how tough this division is. And even with the Diamondbacks, who have such a bright future with all the young guys and prospects they are playing right now.
0: Okay. Well, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for the week. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, May 16th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions continue our review of NBA playoff action, have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, and as mentioned previously in the podcast, take a look at NHL action, NHL Stanley Cup playoff action, um, once again, this time in more depth. Uh, in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday, and his MLB Power Rankings that will now be updated every Wednesday. All of that content on our website, fourthand 24com that's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.